Hi, and welcome to the Everywhere podcast. We're a global community of founders and operators who've come together to support the next generation of builders. So the premise of the podcast is just that, founders interviewing other founders about the trials and tribulations of building a company. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. I am with Ben Huffman today from Contra. And Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Ben. Thanks, Joy, for having me. Uh, I am the co-founder and CEO of Contra, and I'm happy to be here. All right, Ben. So you are a serial founder. So tell us about your journey and uh, what kind of insights have you been able to take from your previous ventures? Yeah, so it's funny. I love being on this podcast uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because the fund has invested and supported me through both of my companies. And two, like, you know, coming in at the pre-seed, you get to know the the investors that like back you the earliest, the best, because you just have years and years of experience and memories with them. You know, I actually got into technology uh, through uh, being a music producer, doing things like uh, the actual sequencing and the audio engineering behind uh, radio music. So I was I was I was producing music for Sony UK. And fun fact, I actually still produce all of the songs for the launch videos for Contra. So if you ever watch oh, the world videos and you uh, and you and you like the the track, that's actually me. So you know, if you don't like it, you know, whatever. But if you do, definitely leave a comment and say something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, got, I got into technology uh, through through music, and I remember I would produce these songs, and usually it was just a hobby. It's something I had been doing since I was twelve. It's one of the first like pieces of software that I ultimately was able to hack. <laughs> Was a wow. was a digital audio workstation, um, but you kind of learn like the ins and outs because once you make uh, a song, you also have to make like the graphics. Mm-hmm. You also have to make, like the you know the cover art or whatever. And I just remember like uploading these things to SoundCloud. And at one point, someone reached out and, and, they, and they they asked like, "Hey, can can I buy uh, one of your one of your songs?" And I was like, "What does that mean?" <laughs> I was like, "I had always you know worked in person jobs and like dumb things are like maybe not as." as like fun as like working in tech. And I realized that I could actually make uh, money with the skill that I had developed. And it was like really just in my mind, you know? So like that was the first time I had kind of had that aha moment for uh, what the digital world could bring. Uh, and so I slowly like kind of upskilled in like graphic design. And I met a lot of people kind of in the creative scene through over the years and just became obsessed uh, with this problem of Anyone could work for um, anyone uh, anywhere in the world. Like this whole idea of like anyone could work for themselves, but they could also uh, be anywhere in the world and doing that. I, and the first time I was exposed to this problem uh, was starting my first company. So uh, Wright was actually a, uh, a fund-backed company as well. Amazing. You know, wow. We're a small yeah. business at first. And so we were, at our peak, we were doing roughly like 5 to $6 million a year uh, in revenue. Uh, but we had a PNL, right? So we're a small business. We had to uh, operate uh, cash flow positive, otherwise we couldn't we couldn't exist. And so, like, we never had the funds uh, for um, you know a full time engineering or design team. But we we still needed great branding. We still needed a custom software. We still needed a lot of things. And so we would always uh, work with independent workers and freelancers to get these things done. And so in the very earliest days, I was using. Odesk and Elance to find people oh my God. to help me build build this product. And you know that ultimately turned into Upwork. And so I thought it was the coolest thing. I would come home for the holidays and show my parents like my Skype and be like, hey, look, like I'm with this person in India or this person in South America. And they thought I was crazy. They're like, what is going on? Like, how can you trust these people? And I don't know. It just it just worked. And it was it was really fun. And so that's kind of how I got into tech. And that's kind of how I came acro- across 
uh, the problem for Contra. That's incredible. This is back in the days when I think Skype yeah. uh, was still a primary method of communication yeah. internationally. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. So how did you guys decide on the um, the name? Like what's in the name Contra? So actually my my wife picked the name. And so we were kind of going through because like I had this, I had this need, I had this idea. So I, I had been like a a massive like whale customer on all these platforms. Uh, and I was using this one platform called crew.co. And it was it was like uh, this high end like design uh, slash engineering marketplace, mm-hmm. and it, it it like solved all my needs. It, it basically you could find like really great designers, really great engineers, and kind of pair them up, and and you could like build products, and it was it was super fun. But ultimately, Crew got acquired by uh, Dribble, and Dribble's a great platform for designers. Uh, but I think the the acquisition didn't go the way they thought, and they ended up shutting down Crew. And I was a customer. I was like, holy oh, shit! Oh, look, this is like literally how I manage my teams. I have like open contracts and they're like, yeah, we're going to discontinue this. And I was like, that's crazy. And so I thought about the problem and I was like, you know what? Like I know so much about this space only because I've been a user in the space. I had been a freelancer myself and then I've been like a a, a client myself uh, for so long. I was like, you know, I really need something that's going to, that's going to work for me. And so once I started as a side project, I was like, you know, what would the world, what would it look like in a world where everyone uh, in some capacity works for themselves. Like, what does that product look like? Because I knew that was coming. I saw this and I was like, you know, the best people back then would, you know, command remote work and they would command yes. relationships because they could. They were the best. They were extremely in demand. Then, uh, you know, COVID happened and all of a sudden everyone's remote, you know? And so, you know, it, it was just kind of like crazy shift. But before that, you know, we were thinking like, okay, like, what is, what is this, what is this product going to be? And so the first thing we knew it needed to be was commission free. Cause like there was so much friction in the relationships that I would, I would create on these platforms because there was a commission in the way of our transaction. So every time I paid someone, 20% of that was taken from them and given to the platform. Oh, wow. And that's while, really high rate. Yeah. I mean, it, look, and it made, it made a lot of sense back in the day. Like that was kind of like the web 1.0 to web 2.0 consumption model, which is like GMV take rate. Like the platform does this much sales. It takes this much as a rake, and that's that's the revenue. And it made sense because before, you know, there was like a pretty closed web. There wasn't great communication tools, or weren't great uh, collaboration tools, and there weren't great payments tools. Hmm. And so it kind of made sense. But I knew that was the first thing that had to go. I was like, you know, we cannot have a commission fee in our product. I was like, the world is like changing. Communication is getting cheaper. Collaboration is getting cheaper. And now there's like USDC payments. There's PayPal. There's all these. There's Venmo. There's all these different ways to get around. Uh, and do a transaction uh, off off platform, and I saw that was a pretty big problem that they were having from like just like their public filings, uh, and so like we we're like okay, this is gonna be a commission free uh, marketplace or maybe a commission free network. So we were thinking about these different names, and we were trying to think of something that like went against the grain, like something that was very easy to type. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you have to think about the you have to do that. You have to do the keyboard strokes. Like how do I actually type this thing out? Very uh, easy to remember. And that uh, kind of stood for this, like, you know, alternate path going against the grain. So we had these two names that we trademarked. <laughs> one was Freeworks, which, you know, uh, and the other one was Contra. And obviously, Contra is a way better name. Freeworks <laughs> sounded like WeWork, and like that was like, you know, already taken. And it's just like, we really need another like Upwork style name. And Contra just stuck. And as soon as my wife said it, I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's pretty good. I was like, I think that's it. And so we ended up rolling with that. And so funny story, 
we, you know, we bought the domain contra.work and we're like, well, we can't have a .work domain because our emails will never get delivered and no one will ever find us and it's oh, not, yeah. it's not legitimate. So we had to buy uh, contra.com. And so at the time we were still bootstrapping it. This is before, uh, you know, I was like pitching the idea to anyone. It was just an idea. And so I ended up finding the person who owned contra.com. You found them. Wow. And so I, I had to actually go off and uh, start negotiating, right? This is like these, I think it was like these either brothers or these two friends that ran a creative agency in mainland China, but they were from, I think the Netherlands or Germany or one of like they're, they're from wow. Europe, but they, they lived in Hong Kong, I think. And then they had this production agency that did like, you know, uh, big ads, like really great ads actually uh, for mainland China. And so we had to start negotiating and at the time, like, you know, I knew this was going to be expensive, but I had no idea how expensive this domain uh, would actually be. And so it ended wow. up costing, you know, in the, in like the, like the low six figure range. And I had six to, figures. yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like, wow. and I basically maxed out my credit card uh, and I took like a domain, a, a domain financing uh, kind of like deal to where I basically was making monthly payments on this thing and I bought it. And that's how the name stuck. The name stuck because basically we, we love the name. And then I basically put, you know, all of like my personal finances on the line to have like this dot com. And it was like probably not the smartest thing that I've ever done, but it definitely made me work harder to make the company uh, a success. Wow. I love, I love that story. Uh, both because your wife came up with, you know, the yeah. name, but also you paid six figures for six letters. So that's a, <laughs> that's quite the deal. Right there. Letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Wow. And I also, my vote is for Contra over FreeWorks. Um, I thought it was because contract, well, Contra is short for contract. And oh, I do like, you know, I do like the Contra name. I like, I love that. So you mentioned a little bit about like Upwork before and also about WeWork. What's your, you know, differentiation from the brands that are already here, like Upwork and Fiverr and all the other platforms? Totally. So the biggest thing for like independents or like the freelancers who are on our platform, like the biggest thing by far is the fact that we're commission free. I think this is like, this sets a crazy tone for like what the product can actually do. Because if you think about when you're building a product, you have to constantly make decisions around like what types of freedoms and what types of constraints you put on your user base. Mm -hmm. And so if your entire business is constrained by the need to capture a commission fee, all of a sudden you have to make product decisions that kind of meet that constraint, right? Yeah. So us being an open platform, we can build more of a network. Uh, we can build in social features. We can build in discoverability features. We can have like sharing features that you know, they don't really matter to us because we don't take a commission fee. Obviously, we want uh, users to use our payment tools. We want users to use our invoicing tools and things like that. But it's not a requirement. It doesn't like mean that like we're gonna it's, we're not gonna live or die by that. So we can actually make a uh, product choices like messaging and sharing and social features that you can't really do in a GMV take rate marketplace. The second thing that was a really big differentiator is that we decided to focus on the independent. If you think about all the marketplaces before, they would focus on the client, their branding, like get more done, you know, do more with less. Like they would basically focus on the client side from a branding and a mission perspective. We always chose to focus on the independent because we, you know, our contrarian take is that the independent side is actually the hard side of the network. And so when you think about like building a network or you think about building a marketplace, there's typically like an easy side, there's a hard side. And I think in the past, it might've been true that uh, you know the client side was the hard side, but I think as like collaboration tools, like I said, automations, uh, you know, communication tools and payments 
are becoming easier and easier and more frictionless and more frictionless, I actually think that the new hard side that's evolving is the independent side. So we decided to really focus on independence and really brand towards independence and align our goals and our incentives with theirs first. And so we consider ourselves an independent first platform and community. And I think that's like ultimately the biggest differentiation. So just to repeat, we're commission free and we're independent first. And so those things tend to go along with it. And like I said, the commission, the commission free side really trickles down into so many different product decisions. And so I think that that uh, is ultimately our biggest differentiator. And then I, I would say that we're building more of a network and uh, there's a marketplace within our network, network where people can really, you know, I don't know, find, find a community. So one of our team members, Maddie, like dropped this like really cool line uh, last week in one of our leadership uh, meetups. But she basically said, just because you uh, work independently doesn't mean you work alone. And I thought that was I so- I love that. Yeah. I know. I was like, I was like, holy shit. I was like, Maddie, that's amazing. <laughs> and so like, I think that's something that really, it really uh, resonates with a lot of people because like, we're also digital, you know, we're, we're also like incredibly online, you know, we're like also like, we're also digital first. And I think, that's you know, that can- breed loneliness in some ways, but as an independent, like Contra wants to facilitate, you know, something that's more than just like, okay, this is your income, but you also feel like you're protected. You have a, a, a partner in this. And then also it's a community that supports you. And I think that's like, a, that's going to be extremely important the further we go into like, kind of like being digital first. That's the model of, I think, 2023 of just being yep. digital first, being remote, being controversial, independent. I love the discussion on the two sides. I feel like any platform, there is a harder side to engage and network effect is uh, <laughs> it's like, it's, can be finicky on, on both sides. That's so cool. And then so um, I think you went in a little bit about this in terms of the challenges and just opportunities. What do you see as your um, biggest challenge today that you face in the, in the company? And then uh, what opportunities are you really excited about going forward? Yeah. So I think a challenge that I think we're all going to face in some way or another is kind of this like this new world and this rise of AI technology, like these large language models, uh, all this generative AI, like what's what's kind of happening in this space is very, very interesting because it's completely redefining knowledge work. Yeah. Uh, so things that like, you know, were typically like pretty difficult before are now becoming uh, you know, attainable within seconds, such as like writing a blog post, yeah. or like even some of the stuff. I don't know if you've checked out this product called Mid Journey, but it's yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like uh, it's a product that works in Discord, and you can just imagine things. And like it's so crazy how accurately uh, this thing can create images and art, yeah. and it's it's really fascinating. So this is like just the beginning, and so I think a lot of what knowledge work used to be is going to be redefined. Yeah. And I think that, like that's something that definitely keeps me up at night because it's like, what does that mean as a team internally? Like, how do we make sure that our people are upskilled uh, to to the point to where like they can like be competitive and like they can like have like this skill set to enter this new world? But also, what does that mean for our users? Like, how do we empower our users to make sure that like they're not crazily disru disrupted by like all these generative technologies? And it's going to happen, right? These things are going to kind of like make their way into the mainstream. They already have in a lot of ways with like ChatGPT, but it's just beginning. Yeah. So like, what is next? And I think those are the things that I'm constantly thinking about. And a question that I'm always asking is, all right, so, you know, before like credibility uh, was your LinkedIn or was your resume or your portfolio, but what is credibility in a world where everything is synthetic, where everything exactly. is predictive? Yeah, yeah. Like, how do you actually even determine uh, credibility? What actually matters? Is it that human to human connection? Is that even more important? And like, how can you quantify that? How can you actually uh, display that in a way that is digestible for everyone else? And so 
I don't know. We're we're kind of entering into the world of like deep fakes and synthetic everything. Uh, so knowledge. I want to dig in a little bit here because you also come from a music producer background. So you've yeah. actually created original work. Yeah. So with the rise of, uh, I think, Dali and just all kinds of like synthetic art uh, and then chat GPT, like synthetic writing, what is your take on ownership and originality yeah. in the world of just that? So it's so crazy. So there was always like, I'll just go back from like a music perspective. There's like this big debate about kind of like analog versus digital. That was like this old debate of like, which one actually sounds better? And I remember whenever I was producing uh, like digital music, you know, everything was sequenced. Everything was like what what a a true uh, musician would consider like fake. Like where like I would have like drum patterns that would be sequenced and then like synth patterns that would be sequenced. And what you'd have to do to actually make this sound good is you'd actually have to humanize it. And there was a setting within like, production called humanize really (laughs) small errors in the uh and where your different notes and your different patterns would line up so that way it would sound more organic and so i think there's going to be a parallel in uh this new world of generative and we're already seeing tools that come out but like you're going to be able to tell uh when something is synthetic whether it's a blog post an article an image and there's going to be tools that actually humanize and create error uh, and create distinction. I think that's going to be interesting. I think that's obviously something that's going to happen. Uh, but ownership is tough because the re- the reality is that for the entire history of the world, it's always been copying and innovating, yeah. copying and innovating. It's this endless cycle. So we're kind of going to go into this like super hyper uh, condensed version of that of that process with all these like because like now like for example, if we're using Mid Journey, we could just like that's there's pulling that's pulling inspiration from somewhere, right? We might not even know. Right. Yeah. We might have even seen it work. Like we think of the prompt and there it is. So it's it's something that we're gonna have to adjust to. It's gonna be painful, but I think in general, it's always good to try to ride the wave of change versus try to, to, to try to resist it. And so we're already seeing some like lawsuits come out. I think Getty Images was suing like one of these like uh like uh, like stable diffusion, yeah. like one of the other kind of um there's gonna be some people who try to fight it. It's it's a valiant effort. I don't think it's gonna work. I think long term the change is going to happen so fast we're going to have to learn to adapt so i'm going to decide on like what ownership actually means right uh, to come from the the world where like everything was downloadable you know like when i grew up on the internet everything was like you know torrented and downloadable and there was no real ownership anyway so like mm-hmm. i think that's like almost an idea of the past and i think where we're going is going to be even crazier something we can't imagine that's fascinating. There's been so much debate on, you know, do artists own their work once it's out on the on the internet? And um, I think someone created a piece of art that looks so AI made that the judges thought it was AI made and <laughs> discredited the artist. And I was like, I have Photoshop layers. So it is it's fascinating. That's super interesting to hear your perspective too as an art as an artist and a music creator. And so coming back a little bit onto uh, Contra, are there you know, key moments or people that you would say helped you put on the right path um, or maybe not the right path, but just the current path that you're on? <laughs> 100%. So I definitely want to call out uh, JD Fielding from the fund. I think, you know, it's funny because like I, I often talk to a lot of like pre-seed investors now and like they're always looking for like the next deal. But like Ginny like backed both of my companies and was like one of the first checks into Contra. And I think she, like I don't know what pre-seed valuations are now, uh, <laughs> but Ginny got into Contra at a $5 million post, which is crazy. I don't even know oh, if people yeah. even do that. 
But like, I think the reality is we went on to raise like, you know, a seed round, a series A, a series B, and Ginny was a reference for me all along the way. But like, it couldn't have happened without kind of like that first check. And it's, it's crazy. Like, I don't think people understand how impactful that is. So pre-seed investors just know you were doing uh, fantastic work for founders, <laughs> especially when you have that kind of like that early belief. It just, it really is a, is, is a game changer and something that I'm forever grateful for. But also around the same time, uh, our head of creative, uh, her name's Aaron Horner. Like I actually met her in New York uh, through one of these freelance communities. And she was so fun. Like we still use the same logo she produced in 2019. It was like all conceptual. It was such a like a, an awesome kind of partnership to create because she actually came on as a freelancer. Then over time, like we we worked more and more together. And then she she had her first kid and she went on uh, maternity leave. And then when she came back, she's like, "Hey, I really want to kind of do this contra thing full time." And it was just like such a huge, I think, you know, leap forward for the company because she's just so talented and just like we've always kind of been known for our brand. And like that was someone like who I met in New York. Like I think it was actually through someone in the funds community. Uh, so like it's just like that was one of the that's that's another cool like I don't know partnership that kind of helped push us forward. And I could say that about a lot of our earliest team members like Rye and Joseph and Zoe and Gaius. But like you know, I think that. You know, it's it always it always is a village, and it always just takes like one person to really truly believe. And like I said, like for that, the fun and Jenny were like really like some of my first believers, and that's it's pretty cool. Well, I'm so grateful to hear that. But it sounds like Aaron is an incredible talent. That a success story for Contra. <laughs> Absolutely, that's wonderful. And then back to you, uh, what would you say your superpower is, if you have one? Huh, let's see. Um, you know, <laughs> what are you known for? I'm extremely optimistic mm. with like a healthy level of of pessimism. And I think my superpower is I make decisions really fast mm-hmm. without having to really think too much. Like I, I have this, especially with Contra, just because I've been this user of 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 a product like Contra or Contra itself. And I mean now like our own team, you know, we spend around eight hundred thousand to a million dollars a year just hiring people off our own platform, right? So like Wow. You know, we were like users of the product. I just think that like I'm extremely optimistic and I really understand this space. And so I it's like it's like I accidentally became an expert at what Contra does, you know, just over time. And so I think that's my superpower for now. I also love to be creative. Like like I said, I come from the music background and like I come from a design background. And so I just love like really thinking about like brand and really thinking about brand moments like brand exposure in I think a creative way. And so that's something that I really enjoy. And it's something that I would do you know, even if I wasn't working on Contra. And so I would say those things I like to do, whether or not they're my superpower or, or not, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, hopefully I'm good at them. We'll see. We'll say we'll say that is. Yeah. And I will definitely hit you up for some design and branding expertise. Yeah, let me know. Great. <laughs> and then we have time for a couple of uh, speed round questions. So I sure. hope you're ready. So let's say, what is a book that you're reading or podcast you're enjoying? Besides this one, obviously. Let's see. Um Tons of books uh, that that I'm reading. Maybe I have too many on rotation, but I, I want to mention a podcast. Mm. I absolutely love the All In podcast. That's probably you've probably heard that a million times. But they do. It's like a. It's basically a free service uh, that makes founders extremely paranoid. And so, <laughs> no, it's it's incredible. Like so, they they basically starting in like November of 2021. They're like, okay, this is the top founders. Get ready. In the beginning of 2022. They were like spreading the like, hey, like this market's about to go sideways. Funding's about to dry up. You better right size your teams. And all the way through 2022, they had that same message. 
And like, I remember like, this was such a wake up call for me personally being like, okay, like the market is shifting, like let's like plan appropriately. But I had such a head start because of the all in podcast. It was absolutely crazy. And so like they do, like I said, it's a free service that makes founders extremely informed and paranoid, which is good. I think that's like actually like a, a pretty good thing. So if you're a founder out there and you want to have like a, a really good uh, outlook on macro, or you want a really good outlook on what's happening in the state of technology and VC, definitely check that out. There, it's probably the best podcast in the world for that. Would you say they caused the crash and panic? Because no, <laughs> that was uh, well. I mean, who knows, right? Like, I think there's like there's that theory that you know basically sentiment creates the outcome. But I, I don't know. I think it was it was a long time coming and. There's just too many other players, but like it was, like I said, extremely timely. And I remember being able to come to my board and be like, hey, like this is what I'm worried about. This is like what we're going to do about it. And that was because of the insight from the All In podcast. So yeah, that super, super grateful and like highly recommended. Makes sense. Okay. And then if you could live anywhere in the world for one year, where could it be? I personally love, I love Miami and I love San Francisco. Those are kind of the two places I spend most of my time. But also in New York, like I lived in New York for nine years, you know, it's like, wow. I'm totally New Yorker, but I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's hard to pick one place. Like I'm such a, a nomad. I kind of just go where my team is because we're all remote. So That's I would say it would, it would be a mix of things. So I don't know if I can answer that one. Okay. So you'd be nomading for a year. Is your yeah, day? exactly. Okay, yeah. perfect. And then while you're nomading, what is your uh, favorite productivity hack? Jeez, I might have too many. I think one of the most important things you can do every day to just like make put you in a put yourself in a good mood it's just kind of you know get some sunlight in your eyes like i think it's like it's that simple i think it's hard like obviously like i spent you know nine new york winters so i I know i know that's not exactly the easiest thing to do but if you can just as early as you can in the morning before you like really get into your groove like you know move a little you know not not stare at the sun because that'll hurt your eyes but like get some sunlight you know in on your face in your eyes and i think it just does kind of set you up for success. So like, that's one of the things that I like to do, but I also love fitness. Uh, there's a million other things I could talk about, but I think that's probably the most important one. Just like, you know, wake up and just like, let the natural world kind of wake you up a bit. I think you'll find uh, great luck in Northern Europe in the summer. You can <laughs> have absolutely, or oh, last yeah. night, all day of sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I'll, I'll spend a that's year. That's where you go. <laughs> Follow the so, sun. Northern, yeah, exactly. Oh, amazing. And lastly, um, where can listeners find you? So in person, online, like how? Yeah. So um, I actually have a, a contra portfolio that oh. powers my personal domain. It's git-ben.com. It's really funny. Uh, and then obviously Twitter, uh, I'm underscore Ben HQ. And then also on contra, contra.com slash Ben. And I, I really only use Twitter in terms of social. So maybe, maybe hopelessly addicted. But yeah, find me on Twitter. We'll link those then. Thank you so much, Ben. This is so fun. I'm going to go check out Contra and start my own page. So very excited. Thanks for being on. (laughs) Thanks, Joy. Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you listening, you might also be interested to learn about Everywhere. We're a first check pre-seed fund that does exactly that. We invest everywhere. We're a community of 500 founders and operators, and we've invested in over 250 companies around the globe. Find us at our website, everywhere.vc, on LinkedIn, and through our regular Founder Spotlights on Substack. Be sure to subscribe, and we'll catch you on the next episode.